Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelley Rose Shearer here and welcome to the show. I'm sorry I've been absent the last uh, little bit. I had total hip replacement surgery. Yes, I am quite young for it, but uh, it is what it is, whether it's genetic. My mother's had both hers done in her life, so it probably was. The pain was beyond being able to cope anymore. I was bone on bone for a third of my my hip joint. And I'm in Canada, as, as most of my regular listeners know, and I've had to fight for two years pay for a $1,200 MRI because my medical system wouldn't do it. And the reason for that was you do not need an MRI to have a hip replacement. Arthritis and that stuff shows up in an x-ray, just FYI. So some of this uh, is going to be informative. Some of of this podcast is about state of mind and perspective because perspective has been hysterical, let me tell you. But what was happening was the, we weren't getting referrals. I went to one orthopedic surgeon, uh, like, I don't know, two years ago or whatever. And he was like, no, I'm not doing surgery and nothing I can tell you. Lifestyle changes, anything. No, totally could not bl- believe the lack of personality this surgeon had. It was crazy. Anyways, we let it go on, but it was presenting, the pain was so severe, it was presenting like a torn labrum. And only a contrast MRI will show that. But I tell you what, that $1,200 that we paid got me immediately attention because it showed that, you know, I did have the arthritis. They already knew that, that my joint was a little bit too big for the socket, that I do have moderate hip dysplasia, and that my labrum was all frayed. Now, Why I want to talk about perspective is because it's always unique to your situation. Now, in Canada, we have a very, very broken medical system. It is not free, just FYI. We pay huge taxes that other countries do not pay for this medical system. And because we do not allow, because we're very socialist up here, we do not allow a two-tier system uh, to take some of the backlog. It is just broken. So broken. We had something like 14,000 people die last year for waiting from waiting lists. So I can't tell you how grateful I am when I saw the surgeon, uh, back in November, which was a phone call to say, Hey, you're not going to get in to see who you requested. My girlfriend had had a double hip replacement and I asked specifically for Dr. Masri and they were kind enough to get back to me to say, it's going to be another five months, but his associate could see you. I I took it thinking it was someone maybe younger that he was training when I finally got there in actual fact there were three of these senior surgeons that run this hip and uh, orthopedic uh, 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 sorry facility uh, or or practice is what I'm looking for apologies and they're quite world-renowned and they operate out of UBC which is our University of British Columbia and I've because it's quite a ways from me it's in the downtown core and I live out in the valley of where I live It's not a hospital I would normally have gone to because it's not my catchment, but my surgeons practice out of there. It is this small boutique hotel at the university. It was unbelievable experience. Like I have not had medical 
a, um, a medical experience like that in decades. It was fantastic. But anyways, that's just personal to, to, where, to where I live. And in my broken system, the nurses are overworked. It was very sad. They won't let, here in British Columbia, uh, they won't let our uh, medical people come back to work that haven't taken the uh, experimental, uh, I don't even want to call it a vaccine because it's proven now it's not a vaccine. It doesn't stop anything. But the nurse that looked after me in the morning, she was my only, she was my only complaint. And I'll tell you a little story of why. Because she came to work sick. So she's behind her mask, coughing and, and uh, sniffling. She had a full-on cold, but the place was so busy. And I, I'm just going to blame the cold for her lack of care. She forgot my meds for an hour, and I was really struggling. And then when I was leaving, she forgot to put pressure on my IV spot. And so we're all ready to go. They've got me up on my husband's there. We've got me on my walker, and I... I go to lift my hand and it's soaking wet and my walker's all wet. I'm like, I am standing in a pool of blood. <laughs> no lie. No, it's the funniest thing. There's a perfect example. We all get, you know, give blood or whatever and they put the band-aid and you're like, this is such overkill. Like, why does anyone ever have to worry about this? No one ever bleeds to death. Well, there you go. Uh, it's amazing the human body that the second you put pressure on something, which now I really truly understand even wounds, that you know, put pressure on it. That's how our body stops bleeding. It is phenomenal how our human body works. And so, yeah, so there I am leaving and they, uh, they had to clean up. Oh, me it was all, oh, it was everywhere. Anyways, it was a little bit funny. I wasn't in any danger. It's just that you let sick people come to work in that environment. Sick people that are actually sick, not because they didn't take a fake vaccine that you pushed on everybody through mandates and taking our human rights away uh, or ignore natural immunity. Just that, your short staffs, so you're letting sick shot up people come to work who are not doing their jobs properly. My little rant for the day. But hip surgery has been quite a, uh, a lesson. So I had to accept that I have pre-existing conditions with my mobility. I have a very dear friend. Matter of fact, she's the lady that bought my custom built house here in the neighborhood that I still live in. We were lucky to be able to buy another property here in this, in this area when I got sick with fibromyalgia nine years ago and had to finally give up our home because I wasn't working. And I have been a decade getting to this point, two to three years, quite chronic. Last year, medicated, prolo-injection uh, shots every two weeks into that joint just to keep me mobile and the medical system was completely ignoring me so very very frustrating hers has come on in one year she is a mess her hip she is on 10 times my meds and a cane and it was like wow like how does that come on so fast so that was it was just interesting just very very different how our bodies are eh this has been I can look back on history now and go oh yeah there's where they told me I had bursitis and there's where my arthritis started and there's where I had to give up playing squash because the leg kept collapsing when I was lunging and and you know here's this and there's where I gave up that and and it just it's just been a lifetime of give up until really this past year and a half have been very little mobility I get around the house cannot walk the dog around the block you know without a smoking amount of pain and uh here we are so you read a bunch of documentation there's these two hip surgeons down in the states I follow them on YouTube now that I went to searching for information when after the week and a half two weeks uh, I was in worse pain now let me explain something about hips if you're curious or just don't know or want to know because you may need one. Hips and knees. 
a hip replacement, total hip replacement, very, very painful for most people, the first 48 hours, and then it's just like done. It is quite amazing. I was in the OR through the night. I slept, didn't sleep. I dozed off finally for 90 minutes. So when I, by the time I came home, I had not slept in two days. Hospital is noisy. I'm glad they kept me overnight in the end, which I'd asked, they'd asked me if I wanted. I said, no, I had the option till they saw my blood pressure. I'm at a risk for falling. They said, therefore, no. But the risk for blood clots is, is kind of, besides falling, blood clots are the number two or one risk of a total hip replacement. And they deal with that in the hospital. They had those little uh, plastic cast things on my legs, those bubble wrap things that put pressure like every 20 or 30 seconds. And I wouldn't have done that. That wouldn't have gone home with me. I wouldn't have had that option. And when you've already lost a friend from grade school, when you're, you know, younger to a blood clot that came loose on an operating table and killed her instantly, it's on my radar. Okay. So I'm glad they kept me overnight. Very glad when uh, the pain they could not get on top of. They put us on something, I believe it's called hydromorphone. Now I take gabapentin, a nerve blocker, and tramadol at home. That's what I've had to be on this past year for my chronic pain. Not excessive amounts. I, I do what I can during the day, then I take my drugs about four o'clock so that I have peace in the evenings and then I so I can sleep. Because when I sleep, just like my fibromyalgia, I can manage a fair bit of pain during the day. I can get by, unless I'm having a full episode of something. But man, don't leave me on the t- on the couch watching TV at night with with my leg on fire, my kneecap throbbing, or not letting me sleep. Because then, man, that is a spiral down into depression, and it's 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 not pretty. However, they kept me overnight. They could not get on top of the pain. The tablets were not working. I'd get maybe thirty minutes where it's just like, okay, that took the edge off. And no, this wonderful nurse. He explained it later. They they kind of start you at. I think it's four milligrams. Then they take you up to 10 somethings, 10 times two, so 20 milligrams, but they start you low. And I've never been on, other than the trauma at all, any of that stuff at home and not regularly, but it just wasn't working. And Tylenol for me does not work. I do not know why. I've known that for 20 years. I don't take it. I do not take Tylenol threes. I do not have codeine receptors. So it definitely does nothing for me other than make me nauseous. So I put it on my medical, almost like an allergy. If I take codeine past a couple of T3s, I am projectile vomiting. So it's like, no, thank you. (laughs) So I am not wanting to bug the nurses every 10 minutes, you know, that sort of thing. They, they have a timeline, three hours max, and then the next medication comes. I let them give me what they want. I took the Tylenol in the hospital. It's fine. They put a anti-inflammatory into my IV. And at midnight, this poor young man that looked after me all night, Mikey, oh, he was just, I've never, that nurse, I'd like to give him a recommendation. He came back in, he says, if this last pill does not work, I'm putting this straight into your IV. That was the only thing that finally from 1.30 to 3 in the morning, I finally had a bit of rest and then I was awake again. So I really, really wish when my husband came back to the hospital after post-recovery that he had brought my iPad. Because <laughs> you were too drugged, too in pain, too out of it to literally kind of read a book. I brought one. I really needed my electronics just to play a game, mindlessly take my mind off it. So if you are thinking of having a hip replacement, I have a couple of pointers. <laughs> Don't know how it's different from different countries, but... In my country, here's the scoop. 
they say, you know, wash yourself with that disinfectant stuff and you don't get to put anything on. No eye cream, no lip balm, no nothing. So by the time you get out of surgery, you are, I was so freaking itchy and dry. They did bring me lotion, bless their hearts. But in the, in hindsight, bring a lip balm, use it on your lips, your eyes, a bit of face a cream. My husband coated me my back up. It all broke out in this huge rash from that red body wash stuff. The hydro hexone, the, the, the stuff you have to do before surgery, the disinfectant. So that was my first thing. Secondly, you bring some of your medications with you. So they have, they know you're taking them. You don't have to take your own. Our country anyway, supplies what you need, but you need them on you. Kind of wish I'd brought more stuff. I was sort of downplaying it. And I really wish I'd brought a THC gummy. If I, they would have let me, they, one, they wouldn't have known, but I also did check what interactions are like, no, no, you could have taken that. Pack one of those away at your back if you're into that kind of stuff, because that would have helped me sleep that first night. And then, like I say, two days later, I'm off. The, after the first week, not even the first week, I am just on Advil Tylenol, then off the Tylenol because I didn't think it was helping at all. And I'm just on Advil. And if I overdid it, took a tramadol in the evening. So here's the deal. After the first week, I went off all the drugs, just took the Tylenol and Advil for a few days, and then couldn't sleep at night for two nights. So then I went back to taking the tr one tramadol at night. I was fine again. So now we're at two weeks. Uh, my literature says, get off the walker and the cane as soon as possible. Okay. So I start using the cane around the house. Pain's getting worse. Pain's getting worse. Pain's getting worse. Not my actual hip joint. All the muscles and tendons around it. So now I start doing research. Well, the Canadian uh, people say as soon as possible. All of this stuff should be gone like at two weeks, maybe even three. Down in the States, uh-uh-uh. These younger doctors are like, a month. I want you on your walker for a month. Get past your ego. Get past everything. You're on it for a month. It isn't just for you. It's for people kind of give you a little more room. They don't bump into you. So here's the deal. You need to be stable. Some people, there was an 85-year-old woman across the bed from me. She was a rock star. Wasn't even on heavy-duty medicine. Slept through the night. Walked out on her walker. They wouldn't even let me out of my cubicle, like where my bed is. I was on the ward with, you know, four to a room. Out of my curtain to use the washroom. They brought the commode into me because my ability to move and my pain threshold was so high. I'm like, what is going on here, man? The senior citizens have got it going better than I do. A lot of people do not have my immobility issues for such a length of time. So for years now, hip flexor wouldn't engage core, not the core muscles, my, uh, my, um, groin muscles and things. I've had to have prolo injection therapy for years now in order to stabilize things that kept shutting down. Our bodies are kind of interesting. A, a doctor, a specialist actually described this really well to me once. He said, you're not meant to be in pain. The human body is not meant to be in pain. So when you have something that is causing you pain, things around the industry in injury starts shutting down to stop you from doing that movement. You know, the old joke about you go to the doctor, it says, so, doc, when I lift my arm up like this, it hurts. He goes, stop lifting your arm like that. <laughs> okay, well, we need to get to the bottom of it, but that's sort of the joke. I was forgetting that I've had a lot of intervention for my mobility and a hip flexor that really hasn't functioned properly in three years. I wear a brace every time I go out for a walk or anywhere that's beyond like a few hundred yards. And I'm already off my walker and I am still limping. I am listing. 
it's no wonder I was in pain. So I did this research, went right back on my walker. Within three days, I was fine again. Even when I wasn't even putting that much weight on the walker, your hands are on it, your shoulders drop, I don't tense up, and I don't always list to the left. It was my right leg, right hip that was done. So driving for me will be a while because, again, it's all about your recovery. That is my driving leg. And again, because my hip flexor and muscles and tendons around it have been an issue for so long, you have to be stable, off narcotics, be able to left and right shoulder check, and in a crisis, lift your leg and hit the brakes fast. And one of the things one of these doctors said in the States, a little different than here in Canada, but they could have used this argument, but we have... um, we have government insurance up here, so it's a little more lenient. But in the States, especially where everyone's insured privately, the doctor said, what if, it might, it's such a rare, but what if you got in an accident and they find out you had a total hip replacement and you were within your three months and you were already driving? They're going to try and blame your slow reaction time on the accident, even if it wasn't your fault. I thought, oh, very true. Same thing with stairs. Don't do them if you don't have to. This isn't just about wrecking the hip joint or putting it out, dislocating it, which you don't want to do, by the way. Not only is it so grossly painful, it w- could could cause irreparable, irreparable damage or limitations for the rest of your life. So everyone's sort of on the same page. It's three months of your life. Suck it up and let your body heal properly. And so I have, you know, I do my exercises, I do my walk around the house, I do my little loop upstairs on my walker, and then it's back laying down again. I'm going to go through some things that really made it better, okay? Really made it better. So that's, that was sort of my experience. I'm just, I've just come, today was three weeks, and I'm going to take the dog on my walker outside down to the little vacant lot at the end of our block. Lot had a lot of help the first two weeks. My husband has waited on me hand and foot, and I've gained five pounds. <laughs> he just wouldn't stop feeding me. It's like, honey, I'm laying on my butt doing nothing. So even though there's kids in our neighborhood, they're all kind of older and working now. So there was a lot of uh, help with the dog. Keith had to kind of step up and he's not the one that looks after the dog. So when he had to go out overnight to check on a, um, a motorhome that we uh, wanted to look at, then I was like, oh, what are we going to do with the dog? And I needed to move. It was time. And besides, if he had his way, he would have kept me in bubble wrap for another week. And I really needed to get outside. <laughs> and move. It was a little bit funny because my first week of the surgery, after the surgery, it snowed again here. Very unusual for my area on the Pacific uh, West Coast for there to be snow in in sort of like beginning of March. Um, But there you go. And now this last week, it has been this beautiful sunshine. Still a little nippy here, but we've had this gorgeous sunshine. And I'm looking out there going, I want to be outside. So the hip operation, I actually had to walk away from this podcast and I'm finishing it now. So another five days has gone by, I'm afraid. And I am now doing really well. I'm walking evenly, uh, not eating everything my husband puts in front of me. (laughs) And I do not do anything stupid because I literally did almost fall the other day. And now I see why they are so cautious and how quickly it can happen. We had friends drop in. The dog laid down. I was saying goodbye. I turned around, didn't know she was there, and I almost tripped right over top of her. And normally, it just I would have just walked over her, but you just don't have that range of motion. And I I caught my shoe, and it's like, scared the living crap out of me. I'm not going to lie. Scared me silly. So it's like, yeah, 
keep the cane in your hand. I use the walker when I'm outside and we took our granddaughter out for uh, for a, a little bit of an event last Friday. And I took the walker because we went to a dog park. Her and grandpa ran, walked, uh, rode the new bike we got her. I stayed with the dog. I didn't want to hit anyone into clip me. I didn't want dogs to knock me over. So, and the ground can be uneven. All these little things, it may just seem so small and subtle, guys. But if anyone is going through this, thinking of going through this, having to go through this soon, this is just some good advice to say, just get your ego out of it. It doesn't matter that you're running on a walker. Most people will just look at you and go, look at you go. They will cheer you on. No one's judging, except probably our, we do it to ourselves. And so here I am. Today is exactly four weeks. I get to start physio tomorrow. And at six weeks, I should ha be able to kind of have more freedom. May or may not be able to drive. And the limitations about the 90 degree rule and not falling are right up to three months. After that, you know what? I should be able to ride my bike, golf, but it can take up to a year to get things back to where they were. Now, I do not do any impact sports any longer. I do yoga, things like that. So my life is going to improve. There's a lot of people that have to wait a lot longer if they're younger. Like my son is 35 and may have to have a hip, op, uh, hip replacement. They've finally did MRIs and, and such on him. And he has hip dysplasia quite severely. He had it when he was younger. And we didn't discover it till he was much older. So it wasn't like I wrapped his, you know, there's a thing where they discover it with little children. They can wrap the diapers around the legs and, and force the, the hips open a little more. It wasn't an opportunity for us. So he has a frayed labrum on one side like I have, and he has a torn labrum on the other. At a 35-year-old, lots of times they will try and orth orthopedically repair the tear first because you usually are still very active in your 30s and lots of athletes and, and young people are into sports. Like I was still avidly playing squash, mountain biking in my mid-30s. I even ran the Sun Run, did a couple of 5K ma little marathons. I don't do any of those things anymore. I want to be able to walk. I Because my husband's a walker. I want to be able to ride my bike. I want to swim, play golf, and do my yoga. I'm happy with those activities now. It's been, you know, it's been almost a decade that everything else got taken away. And I really, at this point, I have no desire to snow ski or rollerblade. I tried rollerblading years ago. And uh, yeah, the dog uh, pulled me over. My old dog is like, okay, you know what? These are young people's things. I swore I was going to do all that stuff into my 60s. And some people do. But there are a lot of things that do. You just have to accept that the body does wear down. It does get older. Your spirit's eternal but the body has a lifespan it's just designed that way take good care of it because if you don't where are you going to live that's you know I my uh, acupuncture girlfriend used to have that on the door of her clinic take good care of your body something along those lines um, it's your it's your only home now biblically the Bible talks about that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit God's power the universe power lives in me and uh, and yeah so we got to look after it, but it's still, you know, you still have to accept that it gets older, it gets wrinkles and it slows down. Anyways, I hope it's been a little bit helpful. If you are contemplating this or have to deal with any of this, please feel free to, to, um, to message me. I am not a medical professional. I'm just giving you the, the kind of the experience I had, the little cheats and not to be impatient. It is three months out of your life, out of 
I have been years dealing with chronic pain and, and, and not doing the things I want to do in my life. When my husband bought me my e-bike two years ago, was it, was it been two years? Just, yes, two years this spring. It was like freedom for me. I can't even begin to tell you the joy that bike brought to my life and the freedom I could. I so my dog, right from the time she was four years, five, four, four, five months old, has been taught to run beside the bike with the leash. And so when people see her now full grown, they're like, she just stays there right with you. And I'm like, yeah. And she doesn't pull me over. And I, I don't tire to me. I mean, if she went running after a rabbit or something, I mean, she's gone. But for the most part, when she's focused, what's in ahead of her, she's not sniffing at everything. She knows that, oh, we're getting on the bike and we're going. And then when we get, get to a trail or something, I let her off and she runs free and I ride the bike. And I can get home if I get too tired and I could get up hills that I couldn't do otherwise. Anyways, enough about that. But this past week, we bought our granddaughter. There was a BOGO event, a buy one, get one on these little entry-level folding e-bikes. And so we bought her one, and then we've just sold the other one privately because it was brand new out of the box. And that will fit in my trunk. Now, my granddaughter's 12, and she, a little irresponsible still, but she's 12. It's to be expected. She, you know, she lost her wallet when she <laughs> last week. She almost never keeps track of her phone. Uh, so we said, you know what, sweetheart, this is still a $2,000 bike retail you can't take it home right now. We're the only person, people that you go on adventures and camping with. So it's going to stay at grandma and grandpa's. We will bring it anytime we go down to visit your dad to, at uh, the university because there's beautiful riding trails down at UBC. It comes every time we go out for the day or goes camping, but it has to stay with us for a couple of years. I mean, it's it's a she'll have this bike for a decade. She'll grow, I mean, she's already almost as tall as I am, so she'll be fine. But it is a very big expense and it must be looked after. She only ever uses it when she's with us. She's not an avid rider anyways. And this little guy just had a lot less power. So I'm not sure, I'm not an engineer, but her little bike has 200, uh, 250 watt drivetrain or power or something. Our big ones, our cruisers are 750. They can go like 50. 40, 50 clicks, and they can go for three hours on one battery. This one's more designed for back of your trunk, into the RV, running around the campground, that sort of thing. So we're going to share it for a couple of years, and then we'll get her a really, really good lock for Christmas in a couple of years when she becomes a teenager. And if she wants to take it home, she can take it home. And we'll go from there. So that was her little surprise. Everyone kind of got a little something-something this spring, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. And she's a little scared of riding. No one kind of, none of her parents do these types of things. And she's got two sets of them because my son and, and uh, daughter-in-law are divorced. So she's got step-parents and none of them do these things. And when she was on her bike a couple years ago, she had a bad fall and got a minor concussion. So now like anyone that's been in a car accident, she's a little nervous. We'll work through it. But she's loving the new bike when we took it out last week. She, uh, we made her try it with the power on. She says, I can just ride it without it. I says, yeah, you can, but you're going to try it so you know what it feels like. And she came back grinning from ear to ear going, oh, that's not crazy like your bike, Grandma. My bike, if you press on it too hard on the pedal, it shoots forward. My sister almost ran right into the side of my husband's truck when she tried it. So it's been lots of stuff going on. I'm going to cut the podcast here because this really was about hip stuff today. And I will do another one in the next little bit on just, I want to talk about perspective. Plus, I have two interviews sitting on my laptop that I swore I was going to get to recovering from this hip operation. Now, I'm going to be tell you the one last thing when you're recuperating at home. You're drugged. So don't have this big plan of all the stuff you're going to get done. You're not. 
you're, you're probably just not going to get done. The first couple of weeks, you are focused on being careful, uh, functioning, healing. It just is what it is. I would have to say as I hit two and a half weeks, you know, the stitches, we took the staples out at home. My husband's got industrial first aid and they send you home with a little tool. I didn't need to go into the doctor for that. So we popped off the stitches. It's just like a little staple remover like you use in your office and uh, started using, I, I take a product called Asia. Oh, that's what I forgot to tell you. Some little hacks. Get on Arnica before your surgery and be on it after. In fact, if you're fortunate like me who has a girlfriend who has a homeopathy degree, uh, she had she had sent to me, sorry, uh, in like home, homeopathic strength. But I just order Arnica right off Amazon and I've used it topically and stuff for years because I was an avid mountain biker and you're always coming home bruised and bleeding. So if you do anything that bruises you for sports or activities, uh, Arnica is just wonderful. And you kind of get used to having it around. And then with what was kind of going on with my body this last couple of years in the hip, I started using it internally as well. Well, I was on that for a week or two before the surgery. And she said, within two days of being home, she sent me the homeopathic strength. Godsend. I swear as well, that helped. I had to have contributed to the lack of bruising and the fact that I got off my pain meds a little quicker. I've only had to take a Tramadol once in two, two and a half weeks. And it just, I overdid it when I went up for like a walking or something and I was very sore and I knew the night before I didn't sleep. So I just took the Tramadol at night and uh, had a good night's sleep and I haven't taken it since. I'm just on four Advil a day, two in the morning, two in the late afternoon, because that also has anti-inflammatory in it. So the things I did that were amazing were the Arnica, pack the gummy, if you use those types of things or something to help you sleep, uh, in the hospital. Some people struggle. If you're a person that struggles, do what you need to do. If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, and lastly, I take a product, a redox product called from ASEA, A-S-E-A. That molecule over the age of 40 uh, starts being reduced in the body. So it is a promoter of self-healing. I have taken that. I doubled it up during my after my surgery, and I was using the gel topically on top of the wound as well. I truly believe all of these things play a part. I made sure I got right back, even though I had a really bad flu before the surgery and lost a smoking amount of weight for, for me. Um, it was crazy. I just couldn't eat. I was nauseous for almost a month. It's just, ugh. Then I realized I'm not going to heal without nutrition. So I had to start gagging anything down. So I started just making my shake mix with all the vitamins and the supplements. You, you need good nutrition to heal. It just is what it is. And then my dear girlfriend brought me over one of those infrared mats. Uh, that's supposed to help with cellular regeneration. These things are what I did. And according to everyone else, I'm doing great. I feel a little frustrated. I feel like at 57, I should be like bouncing back from this, but I wasn't bouncing beforehand. So, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta work those things in. So those were my little bits of hacks, but the Arnica for the bruising and pain management, really, really, I can't stress this enough, get on stuff like that. The supplementation, that was personal. It's been a wonderful thing for me. I started taking it for brain fog for my fibromyalgia and to keep the other hip healthy. And now that I've had the surgery, I really, I don't want to have to do the other hip for a couple of years. This was really a lot more traumatic than I thought it was going to be. Easier in some aspects, but more than major surgery. So this is the rule of thumb. Knee operations are way more painful, longer. Hips have way more limitations, longer. Okay, so that's sort of the rule of thumb. 
And when I was on my Zoom call up here with our medical system, it was wonderful. We we had Zoom calls with training with nurses, and there was like 30, 40 of us on the and on the um, the call, and everything was laid out. We were sent documentation, our exercises. We were not left without information. Very, very, very well organized. I do have to say that about this particular operation. And they had the hip and the knee people in the same Zoom call because they're kind of very similar in a lot of ways. Pain management, what to expect, what things to bring to home. You know, the raised toilet seat is fantastic, let me tell you. <laughs> I say with great sarcasm. Because uh, that has to be cleaned every three days. It's a little gross. But it is what it is. And these are the things you just kind of kind of suck up. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm running at 30 minutes here. When I came home, I did have the seat for the shower. A girlfriend loaned it to me, but hers was actually one that fits over a bathtub. So you could, you know, sit on it, uh, scoot across the seat, and then maybe just use a handheld or something. Well, I don't have a bathtub upstairs. I have a five-foot walk-in shower, and it was a little bit too big. But you also only need it the first week. Once you can stand up, if you've got support on the walls, like in a shower, and as long as someone's home, you are safe and you are good, especially if you've got a handheld. Now, there are limitations. You drop the soap, you're calling for someone to come and pick it up. You cannot bend over and get it. Your shampoo, they're going to have to either put it up on a shelf or squirt it into your hand through the shower door. These are little things you just got to get your head around. But you need the raised toilet seat for the full three months. You need a walker for a month a cane baby for two, depending, and you need that seat for a week. I couldn't imagine unless you were in a place with a bathtub only, like a bathtub shower combo, that you would need that seat for longer than a week. I used it twice. And then I went straight outside and the next time my girlfriend came over, she took it home with her. You need the wedge on the on the couch and the chairs. I still have to elevate myself to sit at the dining room table and sitting is is still a little uncomfortable. Like I'm sitting at my desk now, I two hours max and then I gotta get up. It just hurts too much. I lay down on the couch with my, I've got a nice big triangular wedge and I just lay back on it. I've learned some tricks. You kind of get off a couch on your own once your husband stops picking you up off the couch by the, you know, around. I put my arms around his neck and he would just pop me right off the couch because you cannot lean forward. You cannot do that 90 degree thing, okay? And after a couple weeks, I just kind of put my hands on the back of the couch and got up like a pregnant woman. So you adapt and it's amazing how quickly you adapt. All right, enough about hip surgeries. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through shelly at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.